Lord, I just been thinking all morning what a privilege and a joy it is to open your word and let you speak to us through the word. And I uh, really want this morning to be a time when we do just that. Boy, Lord, I just want to teach so well. But far beyond that, I want your anointing and I want your a sense of the presence of God flowing through me. But more than that, I want the Holy Spirit to work around these tables. I want him to just move around and speak to and through people. I want there to be so much this morning, a sense of just loving each other and opening up to one another and, and a hunger in every one of our lives to grow deeper in you. So we just give this time to you. Lord, we recognize we're really, really dependent on you. So this morning, would you take this lesson, take your word, take these lives, and make a wonderful difference by the time 11 o'clock comes. We'll be really careful to praise you. In your name, amen. got a question I want you to start off with that is going to fit into the lesson today. And it's this one. Who are your heroes? I want you around your table to tell two heroes. One, I want you to tell a biblical hero. And two, a non-biblical hero. Let me give you an example for me. My biblical hero, you, uh, Deb, you can look. I think some of your table's over here. <laughs> We're combining this morning. My biblical hero is uh, Daniel. And the reason he is my biblical hero, he and Joseph both, because of their commitment to living godly lives, regardless of their circumstances. I mean, Daniel especially, who, who says, okay, so he can kill me. These lions can kill me, and I'm still going to serve him. doesn't matter what the result is. I'm going to serve God. And he just stands as a role model to me of somebody who says, doesn't matter what life holds, I'm going to live godly. My non-biblical character would be Mother Teresa. She It's one of my regrets in my life that I never got to meet her or listen to her speak uh, one, you know, uh, personally. I was in Calcutta uh, a couple years after she died, and I thought, oh man, if I could only been here a couple years ago when I walked into um, their place, if I could have actually met her, it would have been amazing to me. She, for me, models servanthood like very few people I've ever read about, which really fits into the lesson today. So those are my two people. You see how quickly you can go around and tell yours. Let's first do the biblical character, and each person just take you know 15 or 20 seconds to tell who yours is and why. And then after you've done that, if there's time left, go around and tell your non-biblical hero. Okay? Take a couple minutes to do this. I think this will be an interesting thing for you to share. Go! So we just said that um, Paul is going to share today two of his heroes. And I love these guys because they're common, ordinary guys. And I know that you sitting around these tables feel like, hey, I'm just a common, ordinary person. What can I do to make a difference? And that's why I love these two men. Let me preface it by saying something, though, about why I struggle with this lesson. I was trying to figure out, I wrote this lesson last week because of some uh, commitments I had to get through. And I realized that I was struggling with the thought of sharing it with you. And I thought, why is this hard? Because I love these two guys. They speak to me so much. Why am I, like, feeling a little awkward about this? And finally, it hit me why I'm struggling with this lesson. Let me tell you why. These are two men... That God uses extremely, to ordinary people, that God uses a lot in the church. 
And I realize that any time I share with you where I kind of give a lesson that is convicting about your place in the church, that I feel awkward. And it was interesting to me because I don't feel that way when I go somewhere else and speak. If I go into a retreat somewhere else and I talk about calling people to a great level in their church, I don't feel awkward at all. I thought, what's the difference here? What's this kind of this tension that's going on inside me? And I realized what it is. I feel like when I teach you, uh, and when I kind of lay it on the line about where you should be, what you should be doing, and who you should be in your church, I feel like it's self-serving. I feel like you're sitting there, you don't have to nod your heads yes or no, but this is how I feel, purely feeling. I feel like you are sitting there going, well, yes, she's saying that because it's her church, and she wants us to be involved in her church. And so I realize that sometimes I feel like I, whether I do it verbally or not, internally I'm backing off a little bit from really, like if I'm teaching you about... um, about holiness or about uh, the use of the tongue. Man, I don't care. I just think I'm going to tell you what the word says and I don't care what you think about it. I realize I don't have that same sense when I talk to you about the church because I feel like you will sit there feeling like she's self-serving. She wants us to be whatever because it's her church. And I realize that that's not right of me before the Lord. Because just as the word today is going to teach you pretty strongly about who you should be in your church, I need to be really open and honest with you. And maybe that's not the word. That's not it. Because I think I'm open and honest with you. I think I need to be less nervous about what you think about it. And just say, you take it before the Lord and you figure it out. So that's what I'm going to do. And so today, I'm going to push you about who you are in your church. And I think by the time we get to the end of it, you'll kind of um, have a sense a little bit as we go to prayer at the end, what might God be saying to you as the Holy Spirit convicts you. Okay, enough uh, preface. Paul is writing about two of his heroes. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read about a man that I bet you have not studied very often. A man named Epaphroditus. How many of you have done in-depth studies on Epaphroditus? Interesting. Nobody. You know one reason you haven't? Because there's not much written about him. The only place you'll ever hear about Epaphroditus is in Philippians chapter 2 and then another line in chapter 4. <laughs> Epaphroditus was the guy uh, from the Philippian church who takes the money gift to Paul in the Roman prison. And while he's there, he gets sick, really sick, which we'll look at in just a second. And Paul's going to send him back to Philippi. And you're going to find out more about him. And we're going to do this a little differently. I thought, I just want to do something different today. And so I'm going to have you turn to to Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. You see that? I want you around your tables, out loud. You can do it person by person or, you know, verse by verse, however you want to do it. But I want somebody or several people around your table, to read those verses. And I want you to say together, as you get done, see that box? I want you to say, if that's all I ever knew about a guy, and it is, 
what would you know about this guy? And what would you think about him as a person in our church? So you get that? What, somebody can read it or five people read it, five verses, however you want to do it, and then say together, fill in that box, if this were all you know about this person in the church, and it is, what would you think of him? So just write anything you want. You can write specifics about what Paul describes him as, and or you can say, this is what I kind of think about him. I'm going to give you, I don't know, until I see that you're kind of done. Just a few minutes. So jump in there real fast. It'll sound like an echo, perhaps. So, um, you know, every table starting to read it. But I think this will be just a little good Bible study for you. Go. Common, ordinary layperson. Paul describes him as what? I'm sure you have these th- these things down. My brother. It's interesting, we know we say that and we say it's no big deal. But I was reading that in the first century church, brotherhood was a new thing. In their culture, independence was very much touted as important, and they did not have this sense of camaraderie of outside of the family. And when Paul begins bringing up this, when Jesus says, you know, you're my, my brothers, and when my friends, and Paul begins writing about that, it's a new novel thought to people that this guy is his brother in the Lord. He says, you're my fellow worker. You work right along beside me. You're my fellow soldier. We fought side by side. As soon as I read that, I thought about Ephesians 6 where it implies that we're in a war in this world. And so Paul says you're in a battle with the heavenly realms, with the evil spirits. And and I thought, boy, we need fellow soldiers. He says, you're my messenger. So he brought information from Philippi to Rome and then he's going to take it back again. And he says, you took care of my needs. Here's this guy who just says, I I just love you, Paul. I want to help you. And he's sent by the church to do just that. He says he almost died. He was willing to sacrifice in order to take care of Paul's needs. He risked his life for the gospel, it says in verse 27. And then it says, when he got real sick when he was with me, he was really, really distressed. We don't have the full impact of what that word means in the original language, it means this. It means restless, after trauma, full of heaviness. Full of heaviness. It's a word that's only used one other time in the New Testament. And you know where it was? In the garden, when it says that Jesus was so distressed, he was having this battle going on within him, extremely distressed to where he sweat drops of blood. It's the same word that's used there. Epaphroditus was so distressed. He, He was sick. He was homesick. He was away from home. He was so distressed over what the Philippians would have heard about his sickness that he was just full of heaviness, sorrowful. Just and it also carries the connotation carries the connotation of being depressed. And you can think about it in this perspective. Philippi was eight hundred miles from Rome. So Paul, so when he, when he gets with Paul here, he's eight hundred miles from home, and it's a six week travel trip to get back home. And he's been gone long enough to make the trip to Rome to be sick. And for the Philippians to hear that he was sick. So he's, it's probably been you know, like a, a three to six month kind of experience. Have you ever been away from home and been really, really sick? 
It's really cruddy, isn't it? I mean, you just feel like, oh, all I want is my own bed and my own people. And that's kind of the sense that Epaphroditus is carrying. Now, a lot of scholars say that um, when Paul is sending him back with this letter, the Philippian letter, Epaphroditus is carrying the letter back. It's kind of a thank you letter. A lot of people say that it may have been that he's really lifting Epaphroditus up because some of the people may have been going, well, you baby. You know, you, you don't even care about Paul. We sent you to help him, and you don't even care about him. It may have been that Paul is kind of um, raising him in the eyes of the people so that they won't look down on him as he comes back. Well, what does this say to us? You know, it's easy to read some scripture and just gloss over it, isn't it? And just go, okay, I didn't get anything out of that. So I was, like, digging into it to say, what can I learn from that? I look at it all, and I get a picture of a selfless servant guy. I mean, he's just so selfless. He's a common, ordinary guy in the church, just like you. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how much more do we need selfless, giving, sacrificing Epaphroditus? But I wonder, why aren't there more of those in the church today? Think about it this way. If everybody in the church served the way Epaphroditus did, think of what the church would be like. This guy who says, Paul says, man, he just is my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. He just is there to take care of needs. He sacrificed for the gospel to the point where he almost died over it. And I think about how easy it is for us to get so preoccupied with our own stuff. And to neglect being people who say, I want to care about the gospel. I want to care about making a difference in for the kingdom of God. And I wonder if we need to pray, Lord, forgive me for being so preoccupied with myself. I was thinking about how to ask you to discuss this around your table. So I thought about a couple of questions. I don't think this one is on yours, but it's just simply, does this describe you? Barb, I think you're... Cheryl's over here. Does this describe you? Or do you need the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in you when it comes to saying, I want to be a selfless person as opposed to a selfish person when it comes to caring for the needs of others? Let me put it again so you really get what I'm talking about. And for me, it's like looking at, here is here are the kind of the majority of people in the church today. I'm not talking just about heritage. You know, just in general, when we look at the church in general, we tend to, I think, see people who are pretty self-focused on themselves. I guess that's redundant, isn't it? Self-focused on themselves. People who are pretty selfish, people who say, People who say, what about me? How about you take care of me? How about you meet my needs? How about you do things the way I think you should? And then over here is Epaphroditus, the person that Paul raises up as this hero of the faith. A person who is so unselfish, so giving, so caring. And I just wonder if it might be a good question around our tables for us to say, which one tends to describe you? Kind of the one in the world today? The worldly Christian? 
or Epaphroditus. And then I did put this one on your questions. What about you? I want you to answer it from this perspective. So you really have two kind of questions. One is, which one describes you more? Selfish or selfless? Think about it from this perspective. What about if I left Heritage for a period of three months or so, and I went to uh, our headquarters or somewhere, and you came to see how I am. The church sent you to see how I am. And I, you're going to go back home, and I'm writing a letter about you for you to take back to the church. What would I say about you as far as who you are in your church? We have a few people who go to a different church, so you'll put that in the context of your church. What kind of person would I describe you as if I really, really knew you? I don't know all of you as far as your, who you are and this kind of stuff, but how would I describe you? I think this could be an interesting question for you to kind of bring up out of you. Who are you when it comes to being selfless, uh, giving, caring about the needs of others? Risking anything for the gospel? What do you think? I'm going to give you several minutes around your table. So jump in there and talk. I hope I've made it made, make sense to you. Go. I heard a great insight around several tables where people said it depends on your stage of life. And that's really an important thing to recognize. I want to conversely speak to it too, okay? Some of you say, my stage of life disallows me from really being real heavily connected in my church. I want you to be real careful to not let yourself off the hook there. Think about it this perspe- from this perspective. You come to church this weekend. Because you're all coming to church, so you're, you're not at a stage of life where you stop going to church. When you walk in the doors, do you walk in with a selfish mindset or a selfless mindset? Answer that real fast. When you come around, when you come in the doors of our church, which do you come in with? Selfish or selfless? Real fast. That's neat, Brooke. Yeah, I'm just like, hey, hey, what's How many of you say, I feel like I'm growing more selfless as I walk in those doors? How many of you say, I, I can see some changes in my life? See, I, I want to push you on this, guys. If you, because some of you say, I'm in a stage of life. I talked to one table where they say, I'm older. So I can't do the things I once did. Some of you say I have children. I can't do the things that I will be able to do when my kids are in school or are gone. Some of you say, you know, whatever your reason would be. But you all go to church on the weekend. And I want to push you to say, God, I want for you to come to the Lord in prayer to say, God, I want to be a person who walks in the door of my church selfless rather than selfish. And what if a thousand people did that this weekend? What if a thousand people said, I am no longer going to walk in here and look, I'm going to zone in to my two friends. That's all I'm going to speak to. Or like we're going to talk about a little bit later. Oh, I'm so shy. I can't do that. 
Or, you know, I don't like people that much. I don't know what your rationale might be. But what if you said, it's not about me. It's about walking into this church and being a brother, being a fellow worker, being a fellow soldier, being a person who sacrifices in order to make this church or your church, whatever that might be, a better place. At the end of today, we're going to give you time to pray about this. Because some of you sitting here need to repent And need to have the Holy Spirit do a deeper work in you when it comes to selfishness. Because you're living that carnal Christian life and you're missing out on blessings for you. And you're missing out on a difference that you can make in the life of someone else. Okay, enough conviction for a moment. I'll let you off the hook just for enough preaching. I think I've gotten over my worry about you, haven't I? Now, look at what Paul says about Epaphroditus then in verse um, 29. He says, Welcome him in the Lord when he gets back home with great joy and honor men like him. Honor men like him. I kept going over that scripture last week and thought... um, Lord, would it be okay if we honor some people like him at our church? And I want to verbally tell you some people in our church. I'm hesitant to do this because as soon as I name three names, three of you are sitting here going, well, I put in more hours than that. Go back to the selfless stuff. (laughs) Go back to the I need to repent over, okay, why aren't they using my name? Um, I asked Stacy Fox, our children's pastor, for a couple of names of people. I said, Stacy, who would you give me the name of that if you could say, if I could have a whole church full of people like her or him, this church would be a different place. And actually, the first name I thought about, she had on the list first. Do you guys know Kathy Padovich? She said, Kathy Padovich, now again, her stage of life allows her to do this, but not everybody who's in this stage of life does this. She volunteers in pre-K and kindergarten. She volunteers in static. She helps with AMT. She drives kids to static. She used her own funds to go to youth camp and even mission trips. She's single, so she doesn't have a ton of money. She's she's a constant fixture at Heritage, working behind the scenes to minister to children. And man, she does. I also know I was speaking at Christian Friendliness a while back, and she was there as one of the youth leaders. If you know Kathy, honor her when you see her this weekend. Just tell her how much you appreciate her, how precious she is. Some of you think, well, she's at a stage of life where where she can do it. Could you possibly be at a stage of life where you could and not? Um, She said, Mariah Quinn. Mariah and her husband are here every weekend and lead the cubbies for Awana in addition to that. If we ever need an extra hand, she's always available. That is a wonderful, wonderful comment to be said about you. She makes relationships with other volunteers. She's someone we can always trust to lead an entire group of volunteers or kids. 
or get crafts. She's valuable and always so pleasant to be around. She says, Emily Proctor, Kirk's wife, she volunteers at least eight hours a week. She always makes time for people no matter how busy. She often puts others' needs before her own. Let me give you a couple of names of people that you will recognize. If you see any of those guys and you know them this weekend, go up to them and say, I want to honor you. I want to thank you for your selflessness. Um, I want to honor somebody that you know, Marnus. You're one of my heroes. You're one of my heroes. You really are. You know that we say if we have a need, we know we can come to you. And you are just, to me, a person, uh, just, I can't even tell you how much those of us who know you, admire you and appreciate you, your spirit as you do amazing, you know, as you just work selflessly. And I know you have a wonderful team of people. I can name their names too. But you are just truly one of the people that come to mind for me when I say you're an Epaphroditus to me and to our church. Cheryl, you are just unbelievable. Another person that we'd say, if we know we need something, we know who to go to, and she's one of them. I love the fact of knowing Cheryl before she really got it, and then knowing her as she began to get it spiritually, and then knowing her as she surrendered, and then knowing her as she really got this understanding that God could use her and her giftedness in this church. And you have no idea the number of hours she puts in here and doesn't get paid a penny for it, and just uh, does it with a great attitude, does it with such servant heart. And you'll, you'll just, I couldn't, I couldn't even, somebody asked me, Recently, how many hours does she put in? I said, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, she just, she's got some administrative gifts that she says, I can use those. And she does in an amazing way. And you are an Epaphroditus to me that um, can never thank you enough for who you are in my life and in our church. Well, those are just some of the names that came to mind. You might want to think of somebody that you know who is a great servant. And thank them. Teachers in here, how many times have you just gone up to them afterwards and said, I just appreciate you so much. You don't have any idea the number of hours they put in to get to an hour and a half lesson. And just be verbal. Be verbal. That's part of being selfless. Go up to people. Be verbal and thank them. Well, Epaphroditus, would you like to be a better Epaphroditus? I'd like for you to be. The last one we're going to do today is Timothy, who is really one of my heroes in the faith, too. Here's another common, ordinary man whom God uses extraordinarily. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Um, remember the illustration, or the illustration's not even written here? Most people live over here, he says. And Timothy lives over here. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Um, I want to look at Timothy as a child real quickly, as a teen, and as an adult. And see what lessons we can learn from his life. Uh, But first, just to keep you... Uh, focused, would you take just about two minutes and around your table do real fast this. Describe um, in three words, what was your life as a 17-year-old? What was your life as a 25-year-old? 17 and 25, because those are the two times we're going to look at Timothy's life. Do it just real, real fast to get you talking a minute. You did a good job sharing that, guys. I want you to get to know each other better, so I like things like that where you share. Well, let's look at Timothy's life. First of all, what about as a child? Would you turn to first uh, to Second Timothy chapter one? Second Timothy chapter one. Let's start in verse three. And it will lead into telling us um, about Timothy's childhood. 2 Timothy 1. Paul writes to him, I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recall Verse 4, recalling your tears. So Timothy's been crying over the, over the separation, isn't he? Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded, I've been thinking of your sincere faith, which first lived in your what? First lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you. So we know who his mom was, Eunice. We know who his grandma was, Lois. We know from the book of Acts, um, he was from Lystra, which is modern Turkey. Turn over to uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. We'll get another little glimpse into his life as a child. Paul writes to him and says in chapter uh, 3, verse 14... But as for you, oops, I hear you still turning. I want to make sure I let you get there. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from what? So you know that you learned this from your mom and from your grandma. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, uh, as a child, your mom and your grandma taught you well. They taught you the scriptures. And as I read that, I just was praying for you moms and for us grandmas. For you moms, teach them well. Teach them well. Teach them the scriptures because you're planting the most valuable thing in the world in them. And for us grandmas, I mean, his grandma, um, Lois, also had an impact on this young man who eventually ends up affecting the entire world and even my life today. So moms, understand that one of the greatest things in your lives 
is pouring into those children. And for me as a grandma, I just go, oh Lord, I just want to be a person who pours into little Leo and little Stella. Got to be with them this uh, last weekend, went down Sunday night and got to spend about 24 hours with them and oh, going to go down this next weekend again because um, after church because um, it's the anniversary, the second anniversary of Margot dying and we wanted to do something for Gary and Josh trying to think what could we do. We thought oh we could go down and keep the kids and they can go away overnight and they just you know were overwhelmed with that possibility of doing that so we're going to go down and keep them again. Oh. Oh my goodness, we love those kids. I just didn't have any idea how much I could love two children that I didn't bear myself. Oh, and Stella adores us with a passion. She just thinks I am like the sun to her. And so that just feeds my love for her, you know. Oh my goodness, and she just, I was trying to think of something. She said some Hilarious! Oh, in a lesson in a couple weeks, I'm going to tell you something that that she said that fit in so well. Amazing the stuff I can get from children. Um, okay, well, enough about my life. How about yours? So, as a child, what about as a teen? You can read Acts chapter 16 uh, sometime and see where Paul gets a hold of this young man's life. We know that he was a young man because 15 years later, Paul writes to him and says. Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. So he's 15 years back from there. Most scholars say that he was a very young person. Um, So he was already beginning to, um, you know, Paul was reaching into his life and helping to shape his life. Well, what about as an adult? I really love some of the lessons that I get from Paul or from Timothy as an adult. Number one, he was a great learner who applied what he learned. He was a great learner who applied what he learned. He travels with Paul. He learns well. That should be the word learn. Uh, Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So back a couple of pages from Timothy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. I'm not sure that this is the right verse I wanted. Yeah, it's one of them. First Thessalonians 3, 2. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. Look at 1 Timothy 1 1. Back to 1 Timothy 1 1 or 1 2. To Timothy, my true what? Son in the faith. He travels with Paul. He learns so well that Paul says he's just really getting it. He's my true son in the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verse 20 of of Philippians, I have no one else like him. When Paul writes, I have no, no one else like him, it literally is this word in the original language, one souled 
S-O-U-L-E-D. He says, I have nobody who is that kindred spirit with me. In fact, that's a, it's often translated some, in other translations, a kindred spirit. He said, this Timothy, he just gets it. He just gets what it means to serve people. He gets what it means to spread the gospel. He gets what it means to encourage people. He just gets it. One soul with me. And I think that's what we need in the church today. People like you who say, I am going to be one souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, with people who lead my church because I'm going to help them so much. I'm going to come alongside them. In Hebrews chapter 13, turn there just for a minute. Hebrews 13, after First and Second Timothy. We don't know who wrote him uh, Hebrews, but in Hebrews 13, years later, it said, or uh, sometime later, after it, when in his adulthood, this writer says, "I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released, obviously from prison." If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. So he is suffering for the gospel. He's a great learner who applied what he learned. So when Paul writes to Thessalonians and says, man, he's out there to encourage you. He's out there to lift you up. He also co-authored, probably meaning he was the stenographer for Paul, in six letters. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians 1, or Colossians 2 Thessalonians and Philippians. That's five, so I must have left one out there. Which one I left out? Well, as I was reading this, I was studying Timothy about how he learned, and I thought, he just applied it, though. And I thought how easy it is for people to want to learn, 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 but not apply, apply, apply. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy at the church at Ephesus, and he says, uh, "People, there's some people there who are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. So they're, they're learning, but they're not applying. And then I read a quote by Francis Chan on this topic that I thought was really helpful. I put it on your notes to see if it speaks to you like it does to me. Chan says in Forgotten God, My prayer as I've written this book is that it would not merely add to your knowledge, Often, in Christian circles, we talk about truth in place of applying it to our lives. We hear an incisive sermon. We discuss at lunch afterward how great or powerful it was. And then, never think about it again. Much less allow the Spirit to change us through it. The truth is that greater knowledge does not necessarily equal greater spirituality. And all of America said, Amen. Leads me to ask an important question around the table for you. When you think about all of this, how quick are you to learn from your teachers, your pastors, things you listen to on the radio? How quickly do you apply the truths? Are you a person who says, I think I'm doing, I'm really growing in this learning from Patty, learning from Megan, learning from Rachel, learning from Marky, learning from John, learning from Kirk. I feel like I'm learning, but I'm getting better at applying it. Or... Are you a person, do you soak it up and go, yes, I want to I figure out how to live this? Or do you tend to be a person who goes, like Chan says, yeah, I listen, but I don't know how well I do at applying. How, how would you answer that? There, just kind of share, maybe three or four of you, just share how you feel about that. You may not get to everybody around your table, but how do you do with not just learning, but living what you're learning?
Let's see what you say. Okay, I, I, oops. I know that wasn't much time, but I want you at least to have a couple people open up to you to, you know, to pull stuff out. Yes, I, I need to get better at not just learning, but applying. It's not good enough, guys, to know an intellectual assent to something. In fact, I'm convinced in the judgment we're going to be accountable for the things that we know that we didn't live out. Well, Timothy was a good learner, but he did have a weakness. A couple weaknesses. Let me throw these out. I can't believe we only have 20 minutes to go here. He was possibly a bit shy. He was possibly a bit shy. How many of you consider yourselves um, shy? Let me see your hands. Hold them up real high. I know you don't want to hold them up real high. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> Let me see him again. I wasn't paying enough attention. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One more time. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, 15. Lots of you consider yourselves pretty shy. I want you to take encouragement today from Timothy. He was possibly shy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Back there again. You really get this idea if you go through all of First and Second Timothy, but let me draw this one verse. Paul writes in this for a reason. So he says in Second Timothy one seven, he's telling him to fan into flame the gift that he had gotten through the laying on of Paul's hands. He said, For God didn't give us a spirit of what? Timidity. Shyness, holding back. He didn't give that to you. But he gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Would you do me a favor and on your papers, somewhere there, write those three words. Put this, God gave me. Write it down somewhere on your, anywhere at all. God gave me a spirit of power. God gave me a spirit of power. Of love and of self discipline. <laughs> Some of you aren't believing it. <laughs> You're thinking he gave it to the person sitting at the table, but not to you. So, was that what you just got in saying? <laughs> Mary, he gave it to you, girl. And so if you say, I am so shy, God didn't give you that. He gave you instead a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. In fact, I'm convinced the more you recognize he gave you the spirit of love, the more you back away from saying, I'm going to be timid because I'm going to care more about people than I am about myself. I'm going to turn the spotlight on them and off of me because whether you believe it or not, when when you live a life of timidity, you are putting the light on you. You go, oh, no, 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 I'm putting it on everybody else. No, you're putting it on you, going, oh, no, what are they going to think about me? Oh, no, they, they think I'm stupid. Oh, no, I think they think I'm ugly. Oh, no, they think they think, no, take it off, it doesn't matter. Put it on somebody else and say, how are you? Let me help you, let me encourage you. Um, 
Oh, we don't have time to ask this question, but what are some of the contributing factors of you being shy besides personality and temperament? Some of you maybe were raised to be that way. Maybe some of you um, had situations in your life that caused that. Be encouraged. As you study Timothy's life, he was probably shy, timid. And Paul says you don't have to live that way because the Holy Spirit's powerful. Now, this one may surprise you. Number three, perhaps he struggled with gossiping and quarreling. Perhaps he struggled with gossiping and quarreling. I wrote down uh, several scriptures there that talk about this. It sounds like when you read all of uh, uh, 2 Timothy especially, it sounds like there were some people in the church there that were kind of getting together and they were just talking and quarreling about Issues that didn't really matter, and Timothy was probably getting in there and and just kind of you know yeah let's you know he's kind of escalating it instead of taking it down a little bit. Let's look at one of them. Um, I forget which one's better. First Timothy one. First Timothy one. Verse four. Uh, let's see if this is one I want. Yeah. Verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 6, 20. 6, 20. Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, 16, if I've got it right, yeah. So he's writing again, he goes, evidently Timothy didn't get it in the first letter. So he goes, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly, and it'll spread. He he tells about how it did spread there. Look at chapter, uh, there's one more place, 216. 14, did I just read that one? Oh, 14. Yeah, oh, there we go. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. And there's another one too, but I forget where it is where he talks, you know, Timothy, stop, stop jumping into this. Um, and I wonder about us. There's one specific place where he uses the word gossip. In what ways do you feel inclined to gossip? What would Paul say to you? And there's no time to talk about that, so just think about it for a second. Um, if Paul were writing to you, would he say, using your name, um, get away from that godless chatter and that gossiping and that quarreling. It doesn't help anything. Some of you maybe are quarreling with your husbands about things that you need to stop quarreling about. One more lesson that I think is really important that I want to throw out there and. This is, some of you are still saying, but I can't really make a difference in my church, in the kingdom, because of my age, or because of my uh, children, or because of my unsaved husband, or whatever your excuse might be. And I want to encourage you, don't let any stage of life be an excuse for not following close and serving well. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
1 Timothy 4. Yeah, chapter 4 is also where he talks about having nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. But this is what I wanted to bring up here. Um, every stage has its boxes of excuses. So you're probably in a box right now where you're using your own excuses. And so you say, well, maybe I can't do what Cheryl does. Maybe I can't do what Barnes does. And maybe you can't. But what can you do? Remember when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, uh, just encourage them, encourage them, encourage them. You can be one of the best encouragers at this church. You can be that. If you start looking for opportunities to encourage. I got a email this week from a guy in our church a whole page a guy who has stepped up into greater acts of uh, in greater ministry he's going to become one of our section greeters that you'll hear about at church this weekend and um, it's a he's just really really committing his life to Christ and he said I just want you to know and he wrote, wrote me a whole page of how I had influenced his life. And I read it, and I wrote it back and said, this goes in my file. I'll keep this forever. Not saying, I don't want you to write me encouragement notes, encouraging notes. I don't want, I don't want you to, I don't want it from that standpoint. I want you to think, but I want as an example, this made my day. Not because I needed somebody to say, Thank you, thank you, thank you at all. You know why it made my day? Because I see a life transformed. And that's what I live for. So he wrote me something that validated what I get up in the morning for. To make a difference in somebody's life. And it made me go, oh wow. What I said in that message that he heard, he got it. You can do that to somebody in our church. You can do that to a Marnus. You can do that to a Kathy Padovich. You can do that to an Emily. You can do that to a teacher in here. You can do that to somebody who takes care of your kids on the weekend. You can do that to a youth person who teaches your, your teenagers. You can do that to somebody who sits beside you on the weekend because you come in saying, it's not going to be about who's going to talk to me. It's going to be about who am I going to talk to. You can do that. I heard somebody say as I come in and I greet the, the greeters. It's a great thing, Brooke. I loved it. Brooke says, I come in and I just, you know, I, I just love seeing those greeters there. And so I just want to, to pour back into them and say, thank you for being so, you know, loving to me. You can do that. The body of Christ needs people on this side of the equation. You can be an encourager. You can be somebody who prays, who prays. I was talking again at one of the tables to somebody who says, I'm not at a stage where I can do the stuff I used to do, even here in Heartstrings. And I said, but you're one of our greatest intercessors. And she said, but you don't feel like that's really doing that much. And I said, if I could ask for one gift in the church, I'd ask for you to be an intercessor for your church. Cheryl and Carolyn were telling about... um, a guy in our church, they went over last night to um, John Afon's um, house. He's one of our ushers, and or ushers or greeters, ushers. And John came to Cheryl and me not too long ago, and he said, uh, I have a burden for prayer. John is from, not Liberia, Ghana. And 
he said, uh, I have this burden, this passion for prayer. He comes to church every week and prays over your chairs. That's one of his ministries. Nobody knows it. He just comes and lays hands. You just watch him. I just come in sometimes and watch him just laying hands on every chair, praying for you before you get here. And he came to us and he said, I have this passion, this burden for prayer. Um, Could I invite the ushers and greeters to my house for prayer? So if anybody wants to come on on Tuesday nights, they could come and we'll pray for the church. And Cheryl said last night it was unbelievable to listen to this guy pray for John and Patty, for the church. She said they just all just cried out for our church. That's the best gift anybody gives us. Vera, you may be simply an intercessor. It's the best gift you can give here at church to be an intercessor. I encourage you, get together with somebody on the phone or after heartstrings or on a Tuesday night. Get together with somebody and pray for your church. Set an example. Which is what Paul wrote to Timothy in, as we close in 1 Timothy 4.11. Look what he says. He's wanting to make sure Timothy doesn't put up an excuse. And Timothy's excuse would be, I'm too young. I've got people in my church who are older than I, who know more than I. And Paul says, I'm not going to let you put yourself in that box of excuses. So he says, verse 11, chapter 4, 1 Timothy. Command and teach these things and don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in five things. In speech. Guys, think about your life. Are you setting an example for other Christians in the way you talk? If not, we need to repent. Set an example for the believers in life. Does your life reflect Christ? If not, we need to repent. In love, does your life reflect to other Christians? A love for people. If not, we need to repent. In faith, are you setting an example of faith? If not, we need to repent. And in purity, is your life reflecting the pureness of God? So as you look at all those, I want to remind you, we may not all serve in the same way. You may not all serve like Marnus, like Cheryl, like Kathy, like Emily. But you can serve somehow, and you need to be on your knees before the Lord to find out what that means. To say, I'm not going to use excuses anymore. I'm going to serve. Lord, you show me what that would be. And all of you could be an intercessor and an encourager. And I challenge you, and a person who sets an example, around your table, I want you to pray as we close. And just kind of share with the Lord your own feelings. I want everybody around your table to pray. Even if it's just one sentence, you can do it. You've been talking all morning, you can do it. (laughs) Set an example. (laughs) Around your table, just pray about where you are in all of this for the lesson today. And I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, I I just love your word so much. I love how it speaks to us. I love it that, you know, we could take a paphras and just skip.
skim over them and not think that has anything to do with us. And then we begin digging into it and sharing together. We go, oh my goodness, I got a long ways to go. Or we look at Timothy and say, he is such an example to me of someone who just really gets it. And I pray that you won't let us off the hook on this, Holy Spirit. I pray for every person bowing before you right now, me included, that you would take us to a new level of serving you as we serve the church. I pray that you would help us to to own, own the body of Christ. To own the fact that I must do whatever I can do to make a difference in my church in your body and Lord as we do that I pray that you would just reward you just reward these women like crazy as they say man I don't know why I wouldn't want to serve like this or give like this or love like this or whatever because the blessings are so amazing I'd be the first to say I know it's hard sometimes to serve there are times I get so discouraged, I want to quit. I have to be totally upfront to say, I just think, oh, it'd be easier not to have to bear this. And then I pull back and draw close to you again and let you strengthen me and go, oh, that's right, it is worth it because it's eternal stuff. And I pray you'd help every single person in this room, wherever your spirit has spoken this morning, that you would help us to obey, not just to learn it, but to obey it. For all the moms here, help them to do what Lois and Eunice did. Grandmas too, help us to do our very best to pour into those children to make a difference. And we just praise you today. For how real you are in our lives. We pray in your holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, girls, before you leave.